The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading today comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood to confess their sins and iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Kedmiel, Shabani, Bunai, Sherebiah, Benai, and Chenai. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord, their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kedmiel, Benai, Heshbenai, Sherebai, Hodei, Shebaniah, and Petherani said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the hosts of the heaven worships you. You are the Lord of God, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezzarite, the Jebusite, and the Gerashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous." And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of his land. For you knew that they had acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they weren't they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths, as stone into mighty waters. By the pillar of a cloud you led them into the day, and by the pillar of fire in the night to light them for the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven and their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go into the possessions, uh, go into possess the land that they had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf. And this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and command and commit great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for the way by which they should go. You gave good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. 
and you gave them kingdoms and people and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Shion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants, the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and rich lands, and took possessions of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and tried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does then, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years were bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, did you not make an end for them or forsake them? For you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that he that has come up to us. Upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the king of Assyria until this day, Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and have acted, acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our priests, our Levites, and our, our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of God. You got Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. Samantha, check, check, check. One, two. Am I on? Am I on? Check. Uh, she did a great job, didn't she? Give her a phrase. That was a mouthful. Now I'm going to read chapter 11, 10 and 11. No, I'm joking. Uh, um, you may not know, uh, Samantha has been an incredible reader for us, and she served on a praise team. She just told me that this will be her last Sunday reading. 
this is not her last Sunday here, but last Sunday reading. But um, she will be going to teach in Kuwait. Is that right? Uh, so you can see that her language skills are very well in terms of how she read all of those names and pronounced them very well. But we thank you for your service to us in reading and singing on the praise team. Uh, also, I just want to recognize, because last week, many of us don't realize how uh, so many people put this operation together. And Aaron Cole, wherever you are, please, Aaron, would you just wave your hand? Y'all look back there at Aaron. Just give God a hand praise because... Her and her team allowed us to function two services last week. There was no rain, but there was a cause of rain, and we had to. She had to maneuver around all of that, and so that was quite stressful. Uh, she still probably hasn't rested very well, even though because all of the MLK 50 stuff. So we thank God for that. Also, Tawanda is not here today, but her and her staff, in terms of the nursery, they put on a, a tremendous uh, nursery staff and team together because all of the babies that came through that. Sometimes we don't think about everybody that does things around here um, to make our job, which is come here, sit a lot bit easy, a lot easier. And we thank God for our praise, the praise team as well. Amen. We serve a great and mighty God, do we not? One who is always able to do abundantly and above all that we can think or ask. He is so faithful to us. Uh, as if. Because we know him, because he is faithful, because he loves us so much, let us go to him in prayer. Father, we love you and we bless you. We know that there is none like you throughout the heavens and the earth. You remind us day after day, time after time, of your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that we, even though we cannot measure up to it, help us and strengthen us to be faithful to you and faithful to one another in the way we serve and the way that we look to the needs of each other. We thank God for the panel we had this morning. Uh, and God, I pray that we continue to dialogue and continue to learn at this time as we break open your sacred word and look to what you have for us. Speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Hide me beneath your cross. Lord Jesus, I pray now that your word, your inerrant word, Lord Jesus, that it goes forth in a powerful and mighty way. Allow your spirit to fall fresh upon your people. Use the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Use them, Lord, and allow them to be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said, amen. Well, this week, many of you will know that it was um, MLK 50. Memphis, Tennessee became the epicenter for the entire world to see what God was doing. Many came to lament and commemorate the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You also had leading scholars from all over the nation reflecting on Dr. King's legacy and engaging in questions, in the question, where do we go from here? We also had dignitaries and government officials who came from around the world, celebrities and national media, and several civil rights leaders who still are alive to this day would come around for this particular moment. Even descendants from those who marched were present in order to lament and commemorate this moment in our history. Many of you know that Dr. King came to Memphis, Tennessee, even though that he was warned not to, because he wanted to stand 
in unity with the sanitation workers. And in his strike, he led for fair wages and fair working conditions among African-American sanitation workers. But many can recall those who lived through that time and those who have been taught the history that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to Memphis and was shot and killed at Lorraine Motel, April 4th, 1968. It was at 6.01 p.m. this Wednesday that that bell, century-old bronze bell here in Claiborne Temple was told 39 times at the Lorraine Motel. Many of you know it's the National Civil Rights Museum. And amidst those tolls, you've seen the crowd. And you can look around, both young, old, babies, all different walks of life, felt the weight, the emotional weight, fall upon us. As many knew that this was a pivotal moment in the time of our nation, particularly in Memphis particularly when it came to the civil rights movement. This was a pivotal moment for so many people to learn, to grow, and so many for the church even. Richard sent me an article from a church leader that many of you know whose name is Paul Tripp, who wrote in reflection as he thought about Dr. Martin Luther King's life. And he said for so many years, he's been preaching the gospel. The article was titled, My Confession, a balance towards a more, a, toward a more balanced gospel. I believe a statement would summarize his, his statement would summarize his main thought when he said, sadly, I have preached grace and have been silent in the face of injustice. After being pastored, by an African-American pastor by the name of Eric Mason in Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, he recognized and being in relationship with several African-Americans that are in that church, which is a multi-ethnic church in that setting, he recognized so many areas in his life to where he's been conflicted and challenged when it came to the, to the discussion and the issues of justice. What I took from what he was saying is that he knew the doctrines of grace. He was able to break down the tulip. He understood his systematic and biblical theology. He had a right understanding as a preacher to what it meant to preach the gospel. But even this man, after reflecting on this past week, had even confessed to the fact that he has yet to preach the whole counsel of God's word. Why is that important? Because it causes all of us, not just in the area of justice, it causes all of us to consider what we need to confess and how we have lived our lives. Have we lived it under the light or in the shadows? Can we confess to our God the sins of our hearts, both privately and corporately? We just had a moment here where many of us could come and confess our sins or confess the sins that we sense that are around us. But I know 
Some of us are anxious at times. And it causes fear just to know that you would take that long walk by yourself down here and people would look at you and say, oh, what did they do this week? But I don't think that's what, that's what the Bible teaches us in this passage. When we look at Nehemiah 9, we understand that God is faithful and loving. This is what I want you to hear, saints. He is faithful and loving and he wants us to confess the sins of our hearts both privately and corporately. Why is it so easy to confess the sins of others? We can point out what other folks are doing. We can say what other folks aren't doing. But it is so difficult for many of us to talk talk about what is going on right in our hearts. That is difficult because many of us are ashamed. Many of us feel the guilt. Many of us feel the sorrow and the pain. And understandingly and rightfully so, it causes a weight to fall upon us. And we fall silent. But what this passage calls us out of is not to fall silent in the midst of confession. But it calls us to recall and reflect. When we look at this passage, we see the people of God make a prayerful confession. After a season, many of you are joining just to catch you up. If you've just joined, we've been preaching through Ezra and Nehemiah for the past several weeks. And after chapter 8, we just see that the people of God are coming out of rejoicing for uh, rejoicing about God, the reading of God's word and the teaching of God's word. It caused them to limit, it caused them to confess because their sins were exposed as they read the word of God. And as they did so, they, they seen that in large part, God was calling them into relationship with him. Just to highlight chapter 10 and 11, because that's what we're somewhat covering. You can see in chapter 10, after they confessed in chapter 9, that they're making a renewal of a covenant, a commitment to God. Wanting to be committed to him and wanting to walk with him because God has been committed to them. And then you see in chapter 11, where uh, Nehemiah himself has engineered an entire movement to revitalize a, a, a whole community. What does that look like? It looks like what we're trying to do in the downtown area. Revitalizing this community in a spiritual renewal and also revitalizing the community economically and socially. This is what we see that Nehemiah is doing within both chapter 10 and 11. And as he does so, we see the people of God that are excited amongst all of the names that are listed. These are the folks that are repopulating Jerusalem at this particular time. So now we zero in though, because after they have built the temple and now rebuilding the wall and moving to Jerusalem, we look at chapter nine. The Lord had placed on my heart to really look at and focus in and hone on chapter nine because it is difficult for us saints to really want to confess our sins. And this is an instructive prayer for us. It's much like what Ezra did in chat in Ezra nine. And I know that this can seem as if This is weighty and causes us to not really think about how this can apply to our lives, but I think that it does so in a very important way in terms of how we do community and how we live out community. Now, track with me just for a moment. We look at chapter 9 right in the beginning. There's an indication that they just came out of the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of the Booths. This is a time where the ingathering has come and all of the people of God have come together and they worship. I know many of us, we don't like traditions. 
We don't like all of what comes with that. We want contemporized services. We want contemporized worship. But can I say that there is something about always knowing that you will do the same thing to God in honoring him each and every day. There's something about that. And we need that in our lives. That helps us worship God. That helps us recognize who he is in our lives. But it also brings a level of humility and repentance. That's what we see right here. Let's just highlight chapter, in chapter 9, 6 through 38. And I'll stop boring you so you won't fall asleep. We'll get right to the point. But look at chapter 6, verse 6, where God is being praised and recognized as the creator of the heavens and the earth. And now, keep in mind that they are reading the book of Genesis. And as they are reading the book of Genesis, they are recognizing that God is the creator of all things. What are they and have they been in, in the midst of? They've been in the midst of pagans. They've been in the midst of those who worship several gods and pluralistic uh, 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 religions. And so now they are reading about the one true God. And that's why they can say you are God and God alone. And now they also go on after seeing that they are recognizing a God in verses 7 through 15. We see God's grace and providential power and providing for a rebellious people. Then you look at chapter 6, I mean not chapter, verses 16 through 25. We see God displays his mercies and compassion even though, even help them conquer and possess the land from kings. And then we look at verses uh, 26 through 31 where Israel rebels against God. And God gives them over to their oppressors. But the funny thing is God never let them go. God never hid it, it took his hand away from him, away from them, but he was faithful to them. And then 32 to 38, God's people praised him. They praised him because he was a promise-keeping God, that he did not forsake his people, and that he continued to walk with them. What does this teach us? It's the question. How can this instructive prayer about confession teach us to live a confessional life. Well, I believe that if we then worship a faithful God who is just to forgive us, we ought to take a posture of humility in confessing our sins to God and one another. Here are two points that I want us to walk away with. That confession should be worshipful. Confession shouldn't feel like we are weighed down or confession shouldn't necessarily feel all the time as if we are punishing ourselves. It should feel worshipful. And then secondly, confessional prayer reveals the character of God. Look at point one with me. And I know I have one person that's giving me amens, but if I can get some help, that'd be, that'd be marvelous. Amen, somebody. Oh, there we go, church. Look at look at uh, uh, the, verse, the first one. Confession should be worshipful. Why should it be worshipful? Because we confess the glory and the grace of God. But we should also confess how as Christians we can be ungrateful for God. We, we should confess the glories and the grace of God. But also as Christians we should confess our ungrateful hearts toward God. Because it affects our posture. 
it affects the way we present ourselves. It's right here in the text when you look at verses 1 through 2a. In this month it says, The people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners. Nehemiah points out the posture of the people. As a devotion to the Lord, they fast, abstaining from food and drink. Uh, But I think what fasting today looks like for us, saints, is that we need to fast from uh, the reality TV. We need to fast from watching Hulu. We need to fast from Netflix. Amen, somebody. We need to fast from binge watching. We need to fast from uh, Twitter or Facebook and, and Instagram because what oftentimes distracts us are the very things that we look and we gratify and we long for and we're tempted. We need to fast from the very things that try to grab our hearts. See, food and drink, we feel like we can't live live without. And I think today we feel like we can't live without social media. We can't live without a little reality TV. We can't live without having some kind of entertainment in our face. We need Jesus. Also, a part of this, they put sackcloth on it which is made out of goat and camel hairs, and it is a very uncomfortable posture. It's interesting because they put this uncomfortable sackcloth on them to confess their sins. I I, I can only make the connection with the reality that it's uncomfortable confessing our sins. It it, it, it doesn't feel as if we're supposed to put a nice little garment on, come to church, everything be alright, and not feel uncomfortable when we're called or we hear a corporate confession. See, this allows many of us to step out of our comfort zones, even when he says they separate themselves from all foreigners. It feels comfortable to be around people who make us feel good. But there are times, and see, I, I come from a moment where they, where they would talk about holiness, and I think that for us saints, we need to revisit what holiness looks like. Now, I remember being in seminary, and we would talk about all of the ideas of how we need to engage in secularism, and that there's no difference from the sacred and the secular. I'm all about that, but I do think as Christians, we need to be light in darkness. I do believe as Christians that we need to separate ourselves in the way that we think, in the way that we spend our money, in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we fellowship with one another, in the way that we love. See, this devotion is not one in which they are trying to just abandon something, but they're around so many heathens, as it says literally, and the heathenist culture and those customs that they're taking upon themselves, they need to separate. They need to be away from. And I know it's hard for some of us. Some of us work in creative world where we can't separate from some heathens. Amen. Somebody. Some of us work in environments where I remember being in uh, the court at 201 Popular. Don't ask me why I was there. That's of your concern. I got to go there again. I was just in the place and I, I, I was around so many different people and, and it just reminded me about being in, in a temple of Jerusalem or something. I feel like it, it probably looked like that. I heard so many people talking and people calling numbers and people looking for someone so they're shouting out names. And, but it was one voice I heard this old black lady saying, are you looking for a job? You're looking for a job? Anybody need a job? 
Yeah, if you've been to 201, you know who I'm talking about. And I was like, why is she asking everybody if they live for a job? But, but, but what I heard was a voice over all of the commotion standing out. And I think that needs to be us Christians. We need to be a voice over all of the commotion in society to where we stand out. That what we say and what we stand for, it should be a light. It should be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's exactly what it should be because our devotion to the Lord requires us to be humble, but it also requires us to proclaim. It means also that we are aware of God's presence. And we know that if confession is worshipful, and it should be worshipful, it is not comfortable, but it is costly. So think about it. Do we really come into this sanctuary looking to be uncomfortable? I don't think so. We got to have our coffee hot. We walk into a sanctuary looking for everything, every chair to be set up already. We come in here even with our hats of critique on and we want to make sure that the sound is right the music and the songs are right they're of our liking and of our choosing we're critiquing the pastor or the person that's praying we're looking around and we're poking at everything this isn't a place where we totally feel uncomfortable is it saints is this a place where you come expecting to see God's glory and his presence or is this a place where you're expecting to consume. See, what confessional worship looks like is that it causes many of us to have a level of expectancy because we hope that God will meet us in this place with a level of intimacy that will call us into worship. I know many of us are not getting it right now. And you, you're saying, what are you talking about, Mike? I remember following my pastor around in seminary and I had the privilege of going on a couple visits See, we take worship for granted. We take being in community for granted. So we would go visit our senior adults. And we would visit our senior adults who were either in hospice, homebound, or hospitalized. And I enjoyed visiting the older saints because they had so much wisdom. And so we would go into Mother Smith's house one time, and we sit there. Mother Smith was so glad to see the pastor. It brought so much joy because she'd been away from the church for so long, and she knew she only had a couple months to live. So we would go through the communion piece, we would sing, and we would, we would go along and enjoy this time with our sweet sister. But as I can recall, she had so much energy to have a conversation, particularly about, Pastor, how's the church going? How are things going? Are the saints still coming? Are the brothers and sisters still coming together and united? And she was so eager to take communion and to worship, but also even in the moment in which she knew she was, there was a time limit on her life, an expiration date, only in this world, she still was humble enough to confess her sins, to make that prayer of confession. But see, we get to a point to where she, when she asked that question, pastor would just say, hey, how about we sing a song? And he said, when a peace like a river attendeth my way, she's like sorrows when sea billows roll, whatever my lot, see she had a lot, thou has taught me to say, 
it is well with my soul. Though Satan buffet, though trials should come, let blessed assurance control. I don't know if y'all know this song, but that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my song. Here's where she would lift her feeble and weak arms. She would say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my souls. My sins, oh the bliss, the glorious thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. This is worship. We praise God because we know what he bears. We can confess to him and this worship becomes, this confessional prayer becomes worshipful because we know what the Lord can do and we know what he's granted on our behalf. So what's concerning your heart? Can you sing it as well, knowing that you have the power and the ability to confess to a God who is faithful and just to forgive your sins? Confession is worshipful. It's not merely a self-reproach. Remember that. Because when you think about coming to God, you, you would think about, well, maybe I just need to bear everything to him to feel bad for myself, or to feel guilty. No, that's not the issue. What God wants you to do, he wants you to enter into an intimate level of worship with you. Amen. But you also see in verse 35, I mean in verse 3 through 5, they spent three hours, by the way, Reading God's word in another three hours, confessing sin. Then the Levites get on a platform like Ezra did. And as they stood on a platform, they chanted or sung this song. And this is what you see in verse 5, where he says, Stand up a command and bless the Lord for ever, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be the glorious name which is exalted above all blessings and praise. They stood before God, singing this song. Right before the prayer of confession goes in, they remember they confess sins. Now Ezra in chapter in verse six is about to lead them in a prayer of confession. Oh, y'all tracking with me? And so they stand before God because they understand who He is. Briefly, I just. This Monday, I was sitting in a room with so many dignitaries, Richard and myself, listening to uh, the former attorney general give a speech. Everybody was standing because there was this senator in the building. It was this other government official in the building. It was somebody else who was over this. And so, so everybody was standing. Me and Richard, we didn't get to stand at all. Nobody recognized who we were. <laughs> Mere presence, but I enjoyed the food. But, but Listen, listen, they, they, I, I, was a, I was shocked because everybody was clapping and everyone had a name and it was all of this around people. But I feel as if, if I walk into the room and we walk into this place, is it a place where we walk into and we stand before a holy God who can do more than just move policies or write legislations, but he can shift the entire universe as he's holding the sun 
and in his hands, he's also moving in the hearts of his people. Do you understand the God that you serve? This is a great and powerful God. So when I say to us, and what this text says to us, confession should be worshipful because we have a great, faithful, and loving God who cares for us. But also, here's a practical way that I want us to walk through this after somebody emailed me this week, and we've been going through community groups, and we've been visiting several of them, and what Richard and I have been talking about is the vision for the church and the direction, and also we've talked about the values and the norms that we have for community groups. And so what we've discussed over time is what it looks like for us to have spiritual formation in these groups. That confession, even prayer, in confessional prayer should be a discipline in our lives. And so what that means is, as we practice this together, we do it by confessing our sins to one another. We confess them corporately and we confess them privately. And so what that, what that would look like is even this week, by Monday morning, I will send community group leaders uh, a, a, list, a, a list of things to pray for together. And see, here's the power that God, when we have all of our hearts and affections set on the same thing at the same time, on the same week, I believe sincerely that one God will do something for his people. That, that, That is powerful. That is powerful for us as a community. But not only does confession be worshipable, but confessional prayer should reveal, reveal God's presence. Or, I mean, reveal God's character. It was in the Westminster Logic Catechism where it says, there is only but one living God. There is but only one living God. It is important for us to take this into consideration due to the fact of how many things we worship. It says there is only one living God, the true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgressions and sins, the rewarder of them that diligently seek them, and with all most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, who will by no means clear the guilty. This is the God that you serve. This is the God that you can confess to. Because where sin is abounding, grace abounds. It super abounds. Which means that we know God, if we know God's character, we know that there is no sin that is too heavy, too dark. There's no sin that he doesn't know, nor is he aware of. If you are aware of his character, you will realize that he's aware of you. This is what it means for us to give up our own control. It means to give up our own control by the way that we recognize who he is in our lives. Do you realize they're reading God's word and knowing who he is? But here are the questions I feel as if we have to ask ourselves, do we read this word allowing it to expose the sins of our heart? Do we read this word allowing it to reveal who God is to us? Or do we read this word 
only for our personal devotion. Only just for a time for we can extract information. Do we read it to critique it? Or is there an issue that you have in your heart where it's, I can't go to God, I can't confess to Him because He never listened to me. He's not a God who hears me in the dark moments where I need Him. He's a God who never helped me through the trauma that I was going through. He's a God who, who, who only works for those who are in need because when I show and let, raise my hand and I pray to Him, He wasn't there for me. Matter of fact, I don't know if he can really forgive me because I can't forgive myself. Is that you this morning? Well, you struggle with laying your burdens down before the Lord. Will you struggle with knowing that this immutable God who hasn't changed at all is the same God that can forgive you for your sins? See, Ezra, as he is praying, he's going through the details. He's expressing what happened with Abraham because God found his heart faithful. Then he's also expressing what happened during the Red Sea when the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was with them and he led them through. See, God was allowing, I mean, Israel was going through the history to reflect to what changed his heart. What changes the people's heart? What governs them? It is this God who's promised to be righteous, who's promised to keep his word. It is this God. This is what Ezra said, who, who has also made him name for himself by the way that he supported and he's delivered his people. It's this God who is ready to forgive and is gracious, who is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. It is this God whose mercies are great. See, I don't believe that the Bible allows us to just hide. The brokenness that is in our lives should be on display. I remember working at, I always tell y'all, I worked at a drug and alcohol rehabilitation place where I was in seminary. Uh, we also had homeless, a homeless shelter. And I was there, when I would see older drug addicts come in, typically those are the ones we took in, they would always say, Mike, I'm tired. And you can see the brokenness. You can see the contrition in their heart. You can see they just can't go out there and smoke any more dope. They just can't keep drinking the bottle. They, they got to give up. It's either give up their lives or, or give up the control. But then when we would get younger guys... They felt like they can just blow past the 13 months. They, they wanted to finish it fast. And they, and they wanted to get out. But every time, they would go right back into smoking drugs. Or right back into drinking. Right back into the addiction. Because they weren't broken enough. Have you ever experienced that level of contrition in your heart? Contrition in your heart to where God has broken you to where you can't go back to the same sins anymore. You can't go back to the living the same way. You can't fall back into pornography addiction. You can't fall back into drinking the bottle. You can't fall back into the old ways that you used to treat people or used to treat women or used to treat guys. You can't fall back into those ways. See, King David did. This is why in Psalm 51, verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God is a broken spirit, and a, uh, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He's the same God who, when 
he was with the Samaritan woman by the well, he, see, he asked her for a drink of water. And what's interesting is the Samaritan woman said, uh, Brother, you don't, have any, you don't have any buckets to draw from the well. And he said, if you knew the gift of God, I am the living water. And as he began, Jesus began to share who he is to her. Do you, rela- you realize that he knew her story? What am I saying to you? Is that the God that you're confessing to doesn't not know who you are. But if you recognize who he is, you will feel a level of comfort in confessing to that God. See, I always tell y'all about my son. And I'm sorry I do. Because that's, I remember somebody's like, Mike, when you become a father, that's just, that's just going to help you see everything. It's going to gospelize everything for you. Right? So, <laughs> so it, it did. One day, MJ is coming home, and he always likes to help. And so as he's helping me, he, he's like, Daddy, I got it. I can do it. I can do it by myself. And so I said, okay, go ahead, son. This time, I, I was like, this, this is a tall task. And so as he tries to go after himself, you see what he does is he goes on and he says, I, I can't do it. I say, yes, you can, son. You, you just use your, use your force this way. Now, daddy, I can't do it. And he tries it again. I said, son, just push this way. Mm, daddy, I, I just can't do it. And I said, no, no, wait, son. You, 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 you can do it. No, I don't. I'm not strong enough. I said, son, are you using all of your resources? Are you using everything around you? He said, yes, daddy, I am. I said, but you ain't asked me yet. See, the thing is, if he understands his father and he knows him, then he can ask me. And without a shadow of a doubt, I will lift the burden for him. I will pull and strain for him. I will strengthen him in order to do what he needs to do. I am saying to many of us, brothers and sisters, you may just, we are all, it's not that you may, we are all like these Israelites. We have fallen away from God, but he has remained faithful. He's walked with us through Red Seas. He's been with us when we've fallen against us. He's given us over to our oppressors. He's given us over to the sins of our hearts. See, you, when you look at the narrative, and that's why we had to read the entire thing, we see that we get to a point where they say you are an awesome and mighty God. You are the one who has delivered us from every simple tribulation. Y'all can come to the band. Come on band. Y'all can come. And what he has done is he has been able to be faithful and just in every single way. I don't know if y'all understand the level in which it means to confess to this God. See we find it comfortable to hide things in our heart. But James 5 and 16 says, if you confess your sins one to another, it will bring healing. And that the prayers of the righteous, King James Version, availeth much. Will you pray? Will you pray to this God that you know? Will you believe in him and trust in his faithfulness? If you do, confess your sins to him now. Take time this week. Make it a regular discipline of your life because you know him. At this time, we will take the offering um, as I close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Jesus, because you are a great and mighty God, one who is just to forgive us of our sins. 
We ask now, Lord Jesus, that you continue to encourage our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord God, to trust in you and your immutability and know who you are in most saving ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, Amen.